Okay, if you'll take your Bibles out, we want to read our scripture lessons for today. Uh, Jeremiah is our primary text, Jeremiah chapter 1, no, no, chapter 15, verses 15 through 21, that's where the one came in. We're picking it up sort of in the middle of a dialogue between Jeremiah and the Lord. And we pick it up here where uh, Jeremiah is going to register some complaints, some explanations, and then ask for some explanations from God, and God's going to answer him. We'll hear what he says. So listen here to God's word. You who know, O Lord, remember me, take notice of me, and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. Do not, in view of your patience, take me away. Know that for your sake I endure reproach. Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I have been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I did not sit in the circle of merrymakers, nor did I exalt, because of your hand upon me I sat alone, for you filled me with indignation. Why has my pain been perpetual, and my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you indeed be to me like a deceptive stream, with water that is unreliable? Therefore thus says the Lord, if you return, then I will restore you before me you will stand. And if you extract the precious from the worthless, you will become my spokesman. They for their part may turn to you, but as for you, you must not turn to them. Then I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze, and though they fight against you, they will not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. So I will deliver you from the hand of the wicked and I will redeem you from the grasp of the violent. Amen. <clears throat> Our gospel text is found in the gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter, verses 13 through 16, the outset of the Sermon on the Mount, right after the Beatitudes. These are declarations by Jesus about who his people are how they should think about themselves and what they should do. So, uh, <clears throat> good things to hear. Again, listen here to God's word. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Amen. And our epistle reading is from Philippians, the second chapter, verses 14 through 18. These are people whom Paul knows very well. 
Uh, he himself is under guard. He's arrested. He's on his way to Rome, presumably. Or else he's in jail and anyway, in prison with shackled to guards. But he dictates this letter. <clears throat> and here's part of what he tells these folks back at Philippi. Listen here to God's word. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Amen. We'll take just a few moments to bow our heads and silently meditate upon God's word, which we've read. Well, gracious God, we are here in your house, a place set aside for worship. And we do worship you, but Lord, we worship you and we look expectantly to hear you speak into our lives uh, to help us as we walk through this world. Uh, thank you for hymns and things we've sung that remind us that we're going to another world, that this is not the final reality. But Lord, we need your help, your ministry, your feeding us as we go through. So feed us now through your word we ask through Christ, our Savior, the Lord of all. Amen. Have you ever argued with God? I mean argue. Like you argue with your spouse. Get in their face. Raise your voice. Lay it all out there. Confront them. Tell God about your reality that he doesn't seem to know so much about. Have you ever argued with God like that? Jeremiah did. We heard about it today. This text we read from Jeremiah 15 is a summation of such an argument. And what we want to do is see if we can identify with Jeremiah and if we can learn something from this argument. Now we have to have some basics in place. So we're going to walk through and see four, I think four, maybe five basic things that need to be there to argue with God rightly. So the first one is this, why argue with God in the first place? Here's what Jeremiah says, you know, you who know, O Lord, Remember me, take notice of me. That is a statement of faith. Jeremiah doesn't say this into a void. He, he says it to God. He believes that God exists. He believes that God hears him. Uh, where else can he go? Who else can hear him? Can he talk? He can talk to his contemporaries and perhaps other people, but, but <clears throat> who can actually do anything? He must go to God. He believes that. He understands that. And his request is very simple. He says, I want you to rectify my situation. I want you to make it right. Because it's wrong. It's not like it should be at all. You've messed up. 
Now, if you and I have issues and problems in life that make us angry and upset, go to God. It's okay to be angry with God, just so you know. I mean, you can't read the scriptures without seeing that, right? You see it here, you see it in the Psalms, you see it, Moses and all kinds of people, they, they go and they argue with God. Why is it okay to argue with God? I've told you this lots of different times, but I said because he knows what's in your heart anyway. Why hide it? I mean, if you got, if you got this junk in your heart where you're mad at God, well, tell him, God, what do you mean? And lay it out. Say, here's what I think, and here's what I thought, and here's the other, and here's what's happened. Nothing wrong with that. That's an act of faith. God, I believe you hear me. Isn't that what the whole book of Job is about? He wants to argue with God, and he does. And it's presented to us as a right and good thing, and God answers him. Say, God, here, all this time I thought you were faithful. You'd watch over us. And look what's happened. Now this. Make it right, Lord. Rectify my situation. Yeah, you can argue with God like that. That's nothing wrong with that. So far. Because that in itself is, in fact, a statement of faith. I believe you're God, and I believe that you hear us. I believe that you know all these things. And I want to know what's going on. Next basic that Jeremiah has is that he knows that God has laid his hands on his life. Jeremiah knows that God has laid his hand on Jeremiah's life and made it different. He's experienced a work of God within him. He says, your words were found and I ate them. Your words became for me a joy, the delight of my soul. Now, your words were found and I ate them. One wonders because, now we've been going through Jeremiah for several months, we know that during the early part of his ministry, they found the book of Deuteronomy, which had been lost, they found it in the temple. They brought it out, remember, and they read it. Josiah repented, and they did all these things. Is that what Jeremiah is speaking about there? They, we found your word, and I read it, and I devoured it, I enjoyed it, it was good. It could be that. We don't know for sure. Or it could simply be that God's word came to him, and he read the Psalms and prophets and things that had gone before him, and enjoyed those. We don't know for sure, but, but whatever was God's word, he said, it was real to me. It was not just an academic exercise. It wasn't just something to sort of go through the motions. I enjoyed it. I delighted in it. I ate it. It was my food, he says. And what it told him was that God really does exist, that God really is for him, and that God is good. He knew all that. God really exists. God's for me. If he's for me, I know that God is good as well. So I can trust in being for me. So for us, 
Have you experienced the direct work of God in your life? You need to. Don't let God simply be up here in your little pea brain, your imagination, or something like that. God needs to come and speak to you and put a burning in your heart to know that he's real. You need to have a revelatory experience with God. Now, you know, you can memorize, we like to memorize the Bible. You can memorize the entire Bible and go forwards and backwards in 17 languages and still be as lost as a dog. Just so you know. So we're not simply talking about biblical knowledge. Biblical knowledge is good, but it has to have the impress, the imprint, the work of God in it, in your heart. I had professors in seminary who could do that, who knew it in 27 different languages, and they were, not all of them, but some of them were just bad people from whom dark was coming and not light. But they knew the Bible. But you need to know, and I need to know, have a revelatory experience from God that we know he's spoken into us, he's laid his hand on us, and it's a good thing. Sometimes it's an initial time. The very first time when you get, uh, have new life in Christ, or who knows how it would, may be. But you need to have that, and there should be ongoing experiences. Now that's not the day-by-day experience. No one has that. Regardless, of, if someone tells you they have an ongoing, regular experience with God that's just full-blown, all, all, they're lying. It's just not true. There are always hills and valleys, peaks and dips. And usually the hills, that is the mountaintops, are farther apart than we would like. <laughs> right? Yeah, usually they are. But we need to have them. You need to experience that. Uh, can you recall such times? I'm just curious. If you don't have to raise your hand, that's all right. But in your mind, can you think back? Boy, you know, God really spoke to me here or there or about this. And it was so rich and good. I agree with Jeremiah. I ate his words. They were a joy and a delight to my soul. I can remember a time like that. I was pastoring in Kingman, Indiana. I was going back up to Purdue to take a class in Greek at the Christian Study Center there. I hadn't been to seminary yet. And uh, so I didn't know any Greek. And I can remember sitting in the room before class started. I got there early because I wasn't married or anything then, so I could do whatever I wanted, you know. And uh, I could get there early. That's a joke. All you husbands should appreciate I made that. The reason we're late is because of our wives, right? Okay, now. (laughs) I get there early, and I'm I'm reading through the Gospel of John. I can, and it was like the Holy Spirit was right there just doing a little defibrillator on my heart. Things I would read. You ever, not maybe you don't have experience like that, but, but, but that's what it was like. And it was rich and it was good. I can remember that. And that's the only time that happened exactly like that, that I recall. But it was good. And we need to have ongoing things that we can say like Jeremiah, your words were found and I ate them. They were the joy of my soul. They were a delight to me. I didn't turn away. So the Bible and God's presence are remarkably real 
to his people and we rejoice in them and we want more. Yeah, nothing wrong with wanting more that way. Then the, that's the second. The first basic is we need to argue with God. It's a good thing. Then we need to know that God's laid his hand on our lives. Third thing is this. God changes the way you live. He changes what you do, how you think, what you say. Here's what, what uh, Jeremiah says. I did not sit in the circle of merrymakers, nor did I exult because your hand was upon me. I sat alone. You filled me with indignation. Jeremiah was not in the cultural mainstream of his day. The cultural mainstream, which is where everyone was going, and if you were living in those times, you think, well, yeah, that's what everyone's doing, so we should do it too, you know? It's what everyone thinks, how they do. Uh, and there was gross idolatry going on. There were all sorts of, of uh, uh, ethical challenges or failures, however you want to put it, taking place on a regular basis. And Jeremiah did not participate in any of that. That was a big deal then. How come you're not doing like us? How come you're not participating? He says, I sat alone. Now, we know that he wasn't alone, but in a sense there were other people who were believers. But the sense of isolation that he had was real. He's not in the cultural mainstream at all. He was ethically pure, remained chaste, and did all those things was right, and yet uh, it was because God had put his hand on his life and he, God changed the way he lived, the way he thought, and the way he talked. If God comes into your life, he'll change you. He'll change the way you think, he'll change the way you speak, he'll change the way you live. That's what God does. God's in the transformation business. He does, I mean, that's, he does it for all of us. And he doesn't stop till you're dead. Just so you know. He doesn't bring it, well, I got, here's Darlene Schmidt. I got her from A all the way to M. Oh, that's enough. That's, we'll just stop there. He says, no, I'm committed to get her all the way to Z. Anna Bridges is here today. She's over 100 years old. God's not done with her yet. He still has things he's working in her life. Absolutely. And you too. So he changes what you do, how you live, how you think, how you talk. You stop the party scene. He changes your language. Now this doesn't all happen in everyone in the same sort of scale or the same time frame. But these things will happen. You realize I cannot use language like that. I just can't. But it's hard to stop it. Everyone around me talks like, well, you realize it doesn't matter. I'm like Jeremiah. I've got to be, behave differently. He'll change your viewing habits, what you can watch, what you can read. There may be things that you simply cannot read any longer, that you've read before, things you'll watch before you can't watch anymore. He'll change your cultural view of how you view the world and how it should conduct itself. So that's the third basic is God changes the way one lives one's life. Number four, I seem like a pariah 
to many, if not most, people. This is sort of what we said last point, but Jeremiah is, in fact, isolated. There's a real sense of rejection. There's people put obstructions in his way. They try to stop him. They confound him and confute him and do all these things. He has opposition. And his sense of God's presence has evaporated. What he had said before about your words were found and I delighted in them, I ate them, gone. That's what he says here. Why has my pain been perpetual and my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you indeed be to me like a deceptive stream with water that is unreliable? That is a dry stream bed. Here's, he's accusing God. God, I can't count on you. That which was the water of life, it's all dried up. You are not trustworthy. You are not faithful, is what he's saying. He's arguing with God. We can get that same notion as Jeremiah. You know, the cultural train is going east. Actually, it's going south. <laughs> but uh, the cultural train is going one way, and we're going the other way. And it seems very lonely. It seems like all around me, people just think differently, behave differently. Christian views are marginalized. You know, you can't really take seriously Christian notions and ideas. Or they're twisted. They're misrepresented. And you can't straighten them out with people. Or they're just plain old looked on with scorn. I can't believe you are such a Neanderthal. You ever had someone tell you that? I've had that. John, how can you be such a Neanderthal? They mean primitive, outdated, a fossil. And it's meant to make you feel bad. I didn't say hallelujah. I'm glad you think that. <laughs> Just so you know. Uh, but you, you feel that, and so you, you come to God and you say, where's God? Now you know that we are a congregation and a church that speaks into the cultural milieu in which we live. We have for as long as I can remember. And yet, what has happened to the cultural milieu? It's kept getting worse and worse. Well, God, where are you? We say this is right and this is right, that's wrong. And the wrong keeps getting lifted up. The right keeps getting pushed aside. God, where are you? Are you like a deceptive stream whose water vanishes? Are you not faithful? You've never said that? 
Where is God? So now, those are the basics. There's four basics. Those that's just said there. Now the answer comes from God. God speaks. Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, then I will restore you. Before me, you will stand. So God, he's glad to argue with you. <clears throat> Does the same thing with Job and others. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to return back. I want you to repent. In other words, to return back to where you were before. You've lost your vision. You have the wrong focus. I had a sharp rebuke this week from God. I was with some other pastors and we were talking and doing the things that we usually do. And uh, I was commenting on this and that and another thing. And I had a pretty negative outlook on some cultural events that have occurred. I said, blah, 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 blah. And I had one of my brothers in the Lord say, what? Don't you know that those things can't last? God's word is true. Lift up your eyes. Rejoice. I said, oh, oh, oh. I mean, I didn't say it all right then, but all since then, the rest of the week, I can hear the, the Lord telling me that. Now, in Jeremiah's day, things were going bad and they were going to get worse and get horrible. But God tells him, come back, return. Don't lose your focus. You know, a solar eclipse happens and it, it covers over the sun and you can't see the sun anymore, so to speak. Well, that's what happens when things get between us and God. We don't see him anymore, and we think that's all, the, that's all that reality is, and, and God says, return to me. Refocus, and I will restore me. Before me, you will stand. Think of, I don't know if you've read Pilgrim's Progress or not. If you've not, you should. We, it was at one of our book of the quarters one time, and we had it available in a contemporary English version. But what Christian, this pilgrim, who's on his way from here to there, which is heaven, and he gets caught up in Vanity Fair, he gets in all the slew of despond, all these things. There's one thing that he always had to do that would help keep him where he needed to be. He had to see the celestial city over there. If I keep my eye on the celestial city, I know I'll be on track. That is, we need to remember that we're heaven bound. Okay? Don't forget that. I negated that for far too long. The first hymn we sang today, did you like that third verse? There was a point in time when I didn't like that verse. What do you mean? Mansions made for me in glory. Streets of gold. Those are all images. We don't know what heaven's going to be like, but it's going to be good. It's going to be plentiful. It's going to be great. And that's where we're bound. We need to know that. I don't know if they're literal mansions. I don't know if there's literal gold. But what that is meant to convey to us is that it's going to be wonderful, better than you can imagine. Where's Jim Kenney? He's in nursery. His favorite verse. 
He has prepared for us what eye has not seen, what ear cannot, has not heard, what the heart cannot imagine. All that he has prepared for those who love him. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 or 3, 9 or something like that. I forget what it is. But that's what we need to do. Keep our focus there. That's when God says, turn to me, return to me. That's what he means. Don't think that this world is the end of it all. If you're living just for this world, you're going to lose it all because this world won't last. Know that I'm here, God says. Well, first know that I am. Know that God really exists. You need to know that. Know that he's here. Know that he's good. Amen. Because those are the things that get pushed away from us. Know that he's, he is, he's here, he's good, and he's sovereign. He rules over all. Not a hair falls from Tom Krause's head, and plenty of them have fallen apparently, without the will of his Father in heaven. Not a bird falls to the ground without God saying, yes, that bird should fall to the ground. In other words, by the word of his power, he upholds all that is. We need to know that. Now, Jeremiah's arguing is a good start at all this that we've just talked about. But now, Jeremiah must listen. And we must listen too. God has two things for Jeremiah and for us to do. Here's the first one. If you extract the precious from the worthless, you will become my spokesman. Hmm, what in the world does that mean? Extract the precious from the worthless and you'll be my spokesman. You'll be one who speaks for me. I think part of what it means is what the two ancillary texts we read this morning point to. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. He said, you are the light of the world. So you need to be, in the midst of all your cultural circumstances, you need to be there for what you really are, a person of God, one who loves God, one who believes God, one who's committed to God's standards, one who holds them up and lives by them, one who speaks by them. You need to be that. And if you're put in any kind of situation where there's the worthless, that will extract the precious from that. What Paul says to the Philippians, that you will shine like stars, like lights, in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. You cannot but stand out. So let's take a couple of things on the cultural agenda and see what happens. It would be interesting, sometime we should do this, in terms of the cultural agenda, <clears throat> What are the two, three, or four things that are driving it, that are, that are on, the, on the, the forefront of it? <clears throat> I would say two, maybe three things at least. One's abortion. That, that's been around since 1972 in terms of being on the cultural agenda. It's not gone away. And people get tired of talking about it, but why? Because we've not resolved the issue yet. Did you hear, we prayed about it last week, but the Supreme Court of the state of Kansas 
ruled in a six to one decision that abortions can be done in any way you want all the way till the baby's completely born. And maybe after that. New York has done the same thing. Pennsylvania will have a law come before the house that tries to do the same thing. Because they're all concerned that somehow our right to kill unborn children needs to be inviolate. Now we need to talk to people about that. There's, that's, a, that's a basic fabric of life issue that we must talk about. Now I think that we're, we're here as evangelical Christians. And so we know we're pro-life, right? We, you know, you're pro-life. You're where you are. Uh, but can you explain that to someone? Can you extract the precious from the worthless? Talk with someone and say, <clears throat> well, when is it that it becomes all right to take that baby's life? Or when does it become that it's not all right? And try and see where the parameters are. And see what the reasons for those parameters are. And just listen for a bit. But make sure that you know in your mind, you, you mention to them that, well, you know, the DNA and all that never changes at all from the time of conception. It's all there from the point of conception. It's just a question of how much it grows. It's still there in you, and it's still growing. Right? So at what point do you say, that? well, that's not really human life. Now, we have to agree that we, we need to protect human life, and that we're called to do that. Uh, and, and just talk with people and help them think through that. And I would suggest there's even more than that. <clears throat> Jeremiah would certainly know this. When was Jeremiah called? Do you remember? When did God say he called Jeremiah? I'll turn back to Jeremiah 1, 5 and read it to you. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. That is, we can say, we want to talk with people about this, that God is and that God's the one who says, let there be life. And it's not just a sort of arbitrary, oh, let there be life. He knows each one, knows each person that he creates. The billions and billions of people that have been created, all have been created by him. And where he says, let there be life, we, as those who are under him, should not say, no, let there not be life. That's shaking our fist at God and saying no to him. So we want to help people understand that. So the abortion debate, the abortion conversation that you have, and this can take time with people, just be patient, be, be whatever, and, and make sure that you understand what the issues are and how to help people think those through. Because a lot of times, just like us, we have positions because, well, that's what we're expected to have. But we don't know why we have that position. But we have that position because God creates each one, knows us even before we're conceived. 
Now it gets hairy, but it's good. That's one. Another one is the sexual revolution. We can say that as Christian people, we celebrate sexuality. Hallelujah. I remember one time we were going on a consistent retreat long, long time ago, and uh, we were stopping somewhere. We were going up to, I think it was your father-in-law's place, Norm. Maybe it was someplace else. But anyway, we had to stop near, near, near Williamsport, and Harvey Shoemaker and me and someone else were having dinner together, and Harvey said that, that, that uh, the doctor had told him he either needed to quit eating salt or stop having sex. And Harvey said, that's not a hard decision to make. Harvey may not remember that, but I thought, that's great. Christians celebrate sexuality. God made us sexual beings. There's nothing wrong with it. Now, he has that under his purview. Here's, here's how it should be conducted. Here's what should be done. Okay? And so, in the midst of all the all the digressions of of good sexuality that that are in our world today, those are opportunities to talk with people about what is really good and right sexuality that's built into the fabric of the universe. And we have to just look at it and understand it and say, well, what does that tell us? What should we learn from that? You know, if you speak on these issues, you may indeed feel like Jeremiah, very isolated. But lift up your eyes. Did you know, how long will it be till people have the blinders removed and they realize that we are in fact in a sexual binary? You understand? That's, that's part of the fabric of the universe. God made us male and female. And everyone's trying to get rid of that. Well, you can do that all you want, but you can't change reality. Now, I suppose it could be 70 years, 100 years, it'll look like, can you believe what those people back then thought? What they tried to put off on people? That they actually did these things? They mutilated people? Tried to do all kind of stuff? I feel a little bit like we did last week when we were talking about Jeremiah's letter, Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, well, don't worry, I have good news for you. In 70 years, it'll all be over. <laughs> we say, well, hold on. I'm already 50. I'm already 30. I'm already 20. And in 70 years, I'll be 90. And it won't be over till then? <laughs> Is that what we think? Yeah, but it will be. Because God is the one who made, designed, and upholds sexuality. I thought I had a lot of time, but I don't. That's the first thing he said. God said another thing for him too. This is important. They, for their part, may turn to you, but as for you, you must not turn to them. 
We need to hear that. We need to be inflexible about some things. We, we cannot change this. We will not change this. We cannot. Now, these need to be things that God has put in place, not us, but God's put there. And then we can't turn and accommodate whatever it may be. They may turn and come to us. That's fine. Now, so be steadfast. I have to hurry here. Because you know what? Among all that world out there, there are still God's people there who've not yet discovered that they're part of God's people. And you're going to stand there steadfast, feel alone, bear witness, and some will turn. Some will come. Some will be transformed by the work of God. But it depends to some degree on our not turning and accommodating. We have to remain steadfast. He says here, they for their part may turn to you, but as for you, you must not turn to them. That's good advice. Resist the call to conform. By the way, you know, nonconformity is a new conformity. So conform and you'll be doing nonconformity. I don't know how it works. <clears throat> so here's it's time. We have to end. Here's here's my uh, conclusion to us. What's the title of the sermon? Standing in the darkness. Stand there. Recognize there is darkness around, but stand there. Be faithful. Shine. Speak. Act. Do. But stand for God's truth. Live it out. What does Paul say? So in the day of Christ, I may have joy. The day of Christ is coming. That's what the third verse of our first hymn was about. The day of Christ is coming when all the darkness will be dispelled, be full light, and we'll see things as they really are. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about that. Now we see them here dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I'll know, full, I'll know fully just as I've been fully known. Yes. As you listen to God, as you hear what he has to say, you'll find what Jeremiah said before, his word is a delight. Eat his word. Enjoy it. Savor it. Take it in. And let it guide you, nourish you, and give you great strength for these days in which we live our lives right now. Amen.